welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. He's always made it easy. And uh, we've been talking about uh, follow-up. And so the last time I was here, or this last Tuesday, uh, we got to talking about what the definition of follow-up was. And we talked about utilizing threefold approach to follow-up. And one was the group follow-up, which y'all are going to be doing this uh, Saturday. All y'all that are going to the to Santa Cruz, I say, that's group follow-up. If there's anybody in the church that, that you know that's a visitor or something, take them with you. If you got family that's lost, take them with you. And say, that's group follow-up. So that's good for you to be able to let them be around people of like precious faith. Amen? And then uh, the second one is uh, personal study. Uh, the activities of a new Christian engages on, uh, he has to learn how to engage on his own. He can't just be, babies have to learn how to eat themselves. Amen? First you feed them. And then they have to be able to feed themselves. And so it's important that we teach new converts how to read the Word of God and to give attendance to reading, the Bible says, to exhortation, to doctrine, and neglect, neglect not the gift that's in thee, amen. Uh, learn how to study the Word of God. So that's what we're doing in personal follow-up is when we make sure that if they miss church, we call them, we talk to them, we visit with them, let them know that we missed them, that they're important to the church. That's what's important for us to do as a church body if we're going to see this church body grow, Amen. So we're talking about the definition of it. It's the importance of follow-up, vulnerability of new Christians. Satan seeks to destroy those in the faith. When somebody comes to God, all of a sudden, uh, it seems like other people start inviting them to their church. Or when somebody comes to God, the old devil, he tries to wiggle his way in there. Satan is a roaring lion, the Bible says. Now, he's as a roaring lion. Didn't say he's a roaring lion, amen, because I told the church last night that God's done pulled the teeth out of Satan's mouth. He had lions don't have any teeth. All he can do is roar, amen. And we have to teach the new converts that you don't have to be scared of the world. You don't have to be scared of the things of this world, that God has given you the power to overcome. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, amen? I can do all things through Christ. I can't do all things except through Christ. He is the vehicle in which I can do all things. So it's his name that's above every name. It's his name that changes every situation. And when I get in trouble, all I got to do is call on the name of Jesus, amen? Boy, God's good to us. So uh, we Christians need to be assisted by older, mature Christians. When people are, are weak, when they've been coming to church, but they don't seem to have that, that exuberant excitement about the Word of God and stuff, you need to mentor them. You need to be friends with them. You need to talk to them. Y'all need to read the Word of God together and talk and, and ask God to, to touch y'all, amen, to say, God, let's, let's, let's come together. Let's pray together and get them involved in the things. The weaker Christians, you've got to do that too. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, ye that, see, instead of talking about those weak people, it says, we then that are spiritual, restore such a one to, with the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, when we know that there is a weak Christian, we need to help strengthen them, amen? 
We need, to, uh, we need to help them. I know that guys, when they go to the gym, they have somebody spot them when they're doing the heavy weights, not the, not the little machines, but the, they have somebody to spot them to make sure that they don't get in trouble. If they got too much on them, they can't lift it all the way up. You don't want to drop that down on them. So God wants these older Christians, you mature Christians, to start spotting some of these uh, younger Christians. He wants you to be able to look at them and, and say, you know what, I'm going to help strengthen them. I'm going to be their friend. I'm going to encourage them in the Lord. And make sure, take that on as your own task that I'm going to work out and I'm going to reach out with those people and I'm going to see if I can, uh, uh, if they're overtaken in the fault, I'm going to restore them in the spirit of meekness considering myself because I know I could be tempted too and I need somebody to help me. Romans 15, 1 says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. In other words, I'm not in this to please me. I'm in this to make sure somebody else goes to heaven. Man, I'm going to get my reward when I get to heaven. I don't need a pat on the back now. I don't need a position now. What I need is to make sure other people go to heaven with me, amen? I don't want them to be left out. I want to make sure that they make it. And so the Bible tells us those things. And then there's the desire to change and do what's right. Uh, it's at its peak. When a new convert comes in, they repent, they get baptized, they get filled. Man, they're at the peak of the time when they're going to be able to be influenced the most. You understand what I'm saying? God wants them to have that desire to change. And when they get the Holy Ghost, don't just slap them on the back, say bye. Make sure you walk them out to where they're going. Walk them out to their car. Talk to them. Lean up against their car, unless it's a Tesla. And, and, and lean up against that car and, and let God uh, begin to use you to show you that you're their friend, amen, that, that you want God to do something in their life. And just exhort them, lift them up. Tell them, oh, that's amazing, man. Oh, you should have seen your face. And, and, and explain to them that, that it's going to get better and better. And there are going to be trials, but man, you be right there for them. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. New converts need that encouragement. So uh, we, they're at the point when they're a new convert that if they're given proper direction at that time, much progress can be accomplished. We know that they can do something. We know that they're going to be able to get revenge on the devil, amen? See, that's the whole point. When somebody comes to God, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 7, 11, that they come down carefully. When they come, the first time they come to church, they repent. They come down carefully. And then the Bible says they clear themselves. Now, you understand what it's saying? And then it says, yea, what clearing of yourself. And then it says, yea, what indignation, that strong hatred for sin. When the new convert comes down, when somebody, a sinner comes down, they come down carefully because God's dealing with them. They clear themselves. They begin to repent and ask God to forgive them of all those things, right? And then they get this indignation, strong hatred for sin. So the more they repent, the more they're digging out that sin because they never saw it sin before until God exposed it there at the altar because he took them out of darkness into this what? Marvelous light. Wow. See, if I had a 20-watt bulb room here, these lights were 20-watt bulbs. You'd walk in here and you'd say, why is it so dark in here? Am I right? Yeah. And then if you take them into a 45-watt bulb room, it's still kind of dark. You take them into a 60-watt bulb room, it's still kind of Take them to a 100-watt bulb room, and they're, they're going like, wow, man, it's bright in here. See, you're in this room where it's bright. You're, you're saved, man. God's dealt with you. God's given you revelation. God's given you victory. God's given you strength. God's given you power. God's given you wisdom. God's given you all these things. A shout, a holler, a scream, a hand clap. He's done all these things for you. Amen? And if we aren't careful, we'll get upset about something, twisted sideways about something when there's new people that need to see somebody strong. And we'll, we'll say, whoa. Why, why can they do that? Well, they're in the 20-watt bulb room. They ain't got to your watt bulb room yet. 
It's up to you to help them progress. They're at the time when they're most influenced. Shine your light into their life. Shine your, your existence into their life. Let them know how you live. And you'll see they'll begin to accept those. Wow, I never saw that before. I didn't even think about that. Amen? And so if you desire uh, to change, it has to be cultivated. Amen? I live in Texas. We have a lot of rice fields. And you don't plant rice on the same plot. I don't know if you do in California, but in Texas, you, every other year you use the land because you got to till it and you got to uh, cultivate it. You got you to begin to work it and get it ready for the next year and use other fields for the next year and you swap fields back and forth. That's cultivating. And God wants us to cultivate. He wants us to help these people understand that when we begin to teach them a Bible study, you're turning their world. Uh, they sit upside down. That's what they said in the Bible. They, these men turned the world upside down, which isn't really true. They turned it right side up. Because we think this is right side up, but if it's right side up, you ain't getting anything out of it. But when you turn it this way, that's right side up. And that's to the world, that's upside down, amen? But God wants you to turn this world right side up. And when you begin to cultivate those new converts and teach them and let them see the zeal in your life, all of a sudden, things begin to go great. So you come down carefully, you clear yourself, you see sin the way God sees it. And then it says, after you see that, it says, yea, what fear? That fear, it means respect for God. Have you ever seen a new convert? Man, when I came down carefully, cleared myself, saw sin the way God saw it, man, I, I respected God too much to go back and do what I just laid on the altar. I wasn't going to pick that back up because that didn't belong to me. God's consumed it. God's, behold, all things have become new. Old things passed away. That's passed away. I, I don't have that anymore. That desire wasn't there anymore. Nothing was there anymore because that, that, I knew there was nothing out in the world that could help me because I, the world's is what tried to destroy me is what I'm trying to say. So we got to cultivate that. Uh, Hosea 10, 12 says, uh, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. You've got to learn how to teach people how to break up that fallow ground. That comes from coming to church, being faithful, worshiping God. Amen? That's breaking up that fallow ground. That's like, see, the Bible tells us about uh, when he's talking about the, the sower and, and the reaper that, that they sowed on stony ground, Right? It couldn't take up root. Is that what the Bible says? Couldn't it, it sprung up. It couldn't take up root. It, it died away. It, it burned up. It, it couldn't last. And see, that's why a lot of people in church don't last is because when they come in, we haven't broke up that fallow ground by fellowshipping them, by teaching them Bible studies, by bringing them to prayer meeting and letting them feel the presence of God and let that word get deep rooted into their life. Sister Aber got the Holy Ghost when she was 15 or 16, and, and, and that word was rooted in her. She, she learned the word. She loved the word. She still loves it to this day, and so she's still here to this day. So we, we need to learn how to cultivate uh, the, these fields. We need to learn how to cultivate new converts. We need to, above all things, have time and conversation with them. Take time and conversation with new converts. They need that fellowship. Uh, social media is structured in a way that encourages the collection of, uh, uh, of scores of, of people or just acquaintances that you know. Uh, you don't really know most of the people that on Facebook, they're friends of a friend of a friend that wanted you to friend them. And, and all of a sudden, now you feel important because you got all these people on your Facebook when in reality, you don't know most of those people in, in, in that. But God doesn't want us just to, to, to just have a social media life. He wants us to see people one-on-one. -on -one. He wants us to look them in the eye and let them see what the Holy Ghost is and how much we love them and care about them. Somebody say praise the Lord. So we need to encourage, 
We need to encourage the transformation process of the new Christian in their lives. We need to let them know that they can turn this world right side up instead of upside down. And uh, it's important that we do that. And then I want to go ahead and get to the place where, where I wanted to get to today. It's follow-up factors affecting follow What affects follow-up? What affects us from following up with people? Why is it that we find it hard? We don't find it hard to, uh, to do things with somebody that we know, but we find it hard. Pastor, we're going to have a revival. We'll invite somebody, and automatically you're going to go invite the same five people you invited for the last 10 years, and they still haven't come. And that's just how it is. You're set in that groove because there's something about that that you just don't, you, you don't feel like you're able to. You don't, there's something holding you back, and that's what we want to tear down those walls tonight and to show you what needs to be done if you want to see people saved, if you want to see your family come in. My family and Sister Aver's family didn't come in until years after we'd been in this thing, and they watched us. They saw us, and, and they saw us excited about God. They saw us preaching and her singing, and they saw us Bible studies, they saw they met people that God gave us in the Lord, and, and they saw all these things, and it changed and influenced their lives. And so I want to talk to you about that. Proverbs 11:30 says, "The fruit of righteous, fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. He that winneth souls is wise. See, if you're going to win a soul, you're going to have to be wise. You can't be a wise crack. You can't use the word of God to demean somebody. You don't say, hey, you ain't baptized in Jesus' name, you're going to hell. I know people that carry baptismal tanks around all over town, and they're screaming and hollering about, you're going to hell if you're not baptized in Jesus' name. Well, if they get baptized in Jesus' name, but they don't know who he is, they still ain't saved. So, man, he, he that went at the soul is wise. He, he listens to those people. He watches them, and he sees that there's a situation, there's a problem in their life, and you're able to meet that need at the point of the need. You're able to, you're able to minister to that person. You're able to let them know that I can hear you. I understand what's going on. You know, when you cut your finger and you stump your toe, you're feeling pain, aren't you? Oh, oh. You, you, kid falls off his bicycle and scrapes his knees. Of course, now, man, they got helmets, they got pads, they got gloves, they got knee pads. If you looked like that when I was growing up, that'd beat you up, called you a sissy, amen? <laughs> but, but kids fall down, they scratch their knees. What does mom do? They go over there and they just wipe the knee off, dust it off, clean it off, put a Band-Aid on it, amen? That's, that's feeling pain. When you're feeling pain, that's what it is. But see, a lot of people out there have the pain of feeling. It's not something that you can put a Band-Aid on. It comes from the very core, the inside. They've lost somebody. They've been abused. Something's happened in their life. There's some kind of trauma or turmoil. And God's looking at the church and saying, you know what? I'm the great physician. I need to get yourself out of the way and let you look and look at these people and see who they are and learn how to help them. Amen? So, you know, you stump your toe, you're feeling pain, man. People lose their loved ones, and, and their loved ones, they see them sick for so long. And my mom had Alzheimer's for so long, and she died. She was in so much pain towards the end. And, and, and we saw them. She was feeling pain, but when she died, she didn't have any more pain. But that didn't mean that we didn't have the pain of feeling. My dad died in 1979, and Ford quit making brown pickups for a long time, for over 
40 years. And then they finally started making brown pickups again. That's what my dad drove. And I was on, we were in uh, Las Vegas and I saw a brown Ford pickup come by me and I started crying, man. It's been 42 uh, years and, and I pulled off the side of the road and I called my older brother and said, hey, Ricky, man, I was crying. I said, man, I just saw a brown Ford pickup. He got to crying with me. And, and we, that's because that was the pain of feeling. We were feeling that loss that happened in that truck. But you know what we did? We began to talk to each other. We began to, to tell stories about each other. Man, I went into a Denny's one time with a friend of mine after my dad died, and I was bitter. And when I walked in there, man, we sat down, and we ordered some sweet tea. Now, in Texas, if you order sweet tea, it's sweet enough to hurt your teeth. That's how sweet it is. And you usually ask for half and half, amen? And so I walked in there, and my friend's sitting there, and I, I said, I'd like some sweet tea. And, and so they brought us the tea, and I took a swallow of it, and it was like, man, this is still bitter. And I put the tea, man, this isn't sweet. Oh, we're out of sweet tea. That's so long ago in 79, they had those glass containers with those uh, silver domes on them with the little flippers. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. And, and so you just poured your sugar in there. So I'm talking to my friend. I'm pouring my sugar in there. And we get to talk, and I take another sip. And when I take that sip, guess what? It was still bitter. And I said, what? And I looked, and all the sugar had sunk to the bottom. And that's when I realized it wasn't the sugar that made the tea sweet. It was the stirring process. And what I'm trying to tell you, church, is that there's a lot of people that have been dealt the hand of bitterness. They've been bitter. They've lost things. They, they need, and what you do is you get them in the house of the Lord, and you let them come and get the Holy Ghost, and they can stir up some of them sweet memories that they had of that loved one. And it overrides the bitterness of the loss, amen? That sugar, when I started, override the bitterness of the tea. And when I talked to my brother about my dad, we started sharing stories, and it overrode the bitterness of my loss. We need to learn how to minister to people that have the pain of feeling. They're hurting out there. Man, their lives have been turned upside down. We need to get them turned right side up. Oh, somebody heard me. You, got, you cannot let your attitude, you cannot let your negativity, you cannot let your, your lack of, uh, of confidence in yourself keep you back from ministering these people that have the need to, to be ministered to because of the pain that they have coming from their insides. That soul injury. That, that injury, that soul injury. I worked in hospice, and when I worked in hospice, I talked to a man, and, and we got to go to his 100th birthday, but he was 99, and uh, uh, he, he, he was a police chief of, uh, of Pasadena, uh, California, for years. And uh, so, man, I'm in there talking to him, and so I go and eat lunch with him, and he's sitting there, and another man's sitting there, and another guy goes, he said, uh, he said uh, what kind of preacher are you, this other guy? And uh, I said, I'm Pentecostal, <laughs> you know? This 98-year-old guy goes, he's a holy roller. <laughs> how many of you older people have ever heard of, is it singing in the rain or dancing in the rain? What, which one? Singing in the rain. His dad was the director that directed that movie. That was his dad. His mom was very fluish, uh, flu, uh, very high society at that time in that area. She took the president's wives to the Rose Bowl and sat with them. And, and so I said, how do you know about Holy Road Church? He said, man, he said, I never hardly saw my mom and dad. I was raised by a Spanish uh, nanny, and she was apostolic. And, and he said, man, she took me to the church one day, and they went down to the river, and the pastor told me I need to get baptized too. And he said, I got baptized in Jesus' name. Don't tell me God don't know what he's doing. But wait, see, see he, now here's what happens. 
He says, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. He said, in World War II, he said, uh, he said uh, we were taking the, the, the island, and he said we were fighting, and the Japanese were fighting us. And he said, when we dropped off, he saw our kids were getting shot right and left. He was a medic. They were getting shot right and left. But he was on that, that boat, that ramp that goes up in there. And he said, when they started to back out to go back and get some more people, he said a, a young Japanese boy uh, was shot and jumped in the boat. And they were supposed to just throw him back out. But he said, I couldn't do it. He said, I shot him. I shot the boy when he came in. And he said, he fell in the boat. And I looked at him. And I, I, I took him back to the, to the ship. And he said, I got in trouble because I brought that guy back. Now they got to take care of him. He said, but he, he was like 15 years old. He was just a kid. And he said, I, I felt guilty. I, I've never felt peace a day of my life. And so I sat there and I let him just pour it out. See, that was that soul injury that nobody knew about. Nobody knew why he would fly off the handle. Nobody knew why he was bitter. Nobody knew why he couldn't get close to anybody else because he was carrying that soul injury for so long. But I was able to let him tell me about it. I was able to let him uh, explain to me what was going on. And I was able to let him know that God forgives, that God, God reaches down and touches. And he'd let us pray, Sister Abraham, come and play the guitar. And he'd just cry, man. He'd just cry because God knew what he he needed. I took the time out. He was 98 years old. Most people wouldn't have had time a day, but I'm here to tell you, friend, there's people that have soul injuries. There's people that are hurting. They have the pain of feeling. Man, pain of feeling. How many of you ever been there? How many of you ever had a soul injury? How many of y'all have ever had somebody uh, hurt you in such a way that it caused a deep scar? Man, I, I, I was told all the time when I was little, I was stupid. I was, I was dumb. And the whole time I was told that, all the time I was told that. And, and I never felt like I was worth anything until I went in the Army. And then I graduated first out of boot camp. And, and I thought, man, I made it. But you know what? Getting something in the world's not making it. Until I got a hold of God and he cleaned my heart out. He took care of that soul injury, see? People can go to every psychiatrist. They can go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And when they leave there, they're going to be the same way they were. But when they come to the house of God and there's a church that says, Hey, this is the friendliest and most exciting church in town. And they feel something they never felt before. They'll come to the altar and God will heal that soul injury. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I'm here to tell you there's nothing like it when you see God heal somebody with a soul injury. When you see God get a hold of them. The night my dad died, my mom was cussing him out to the, to the hospital because she had to go at 2 o'clock in the morning take him to the hospital. And when he died of a heart attack, she carried that around, that soul injury. She was so bitter. But when she came to the house of God and she ran to the altar and got the Holy Ghost and got baptized, God healed her and took away all that injured soul. Soul injury. And look, every time you leave this place, there's people that have soul injury. I don't know how many kids are molested every day now in America. I don't know how many broken families there are. I don't know how many young girls that feel like they're not worth anything. And if we're not careful, church, if we don't get a hold of this and we come to the place that we're willing to really go out and reap a harvest and let people know that there's the most exciting and friendliest church in towns right here, if we don't let people know that, they're never going to be able to make it through the onslaught that the devil has for society. He's opened up the floodgates. There's no morality anymore in America. There's no morality in a lot of churches anymore. And they just kind of blend in. God didn't call us to blend in. He called us to stand out. You hear what I'm saying? He wants us to stand out. When everybody else is blending in with the world, 
When the king said, bow down when the trumpet's blown in front of this idol, man, they blew that trumpet, all them old Jews, they bowed down, except for three. Now, they could have said, well, let's tie, our, let's tie our sandals, and they won't know that we're not praying. See, if I just blend in with them, they, they won't know that we're just tying our sandals. Remember I said undercover Pentecostals? That's what we become, undercover Pentecostals. We, we blend in. It's like we're part of the spy team. We, 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 we are blending in with them, but we don't want them to know who we are. Man, I'm telling you, there's so many people hurting right now. So, there's so many marriages that are falling apart, and, and they're breaking up, and, and, and you can say what you want. You can say, well, you know, they never loved each other. Uh, some, sometime in their life, they loved each other. But they allowed the world to split them down. They allowed the world to, to get into their lives. And the Bible says when you're married, you got to learn how to dwell together in knowledge. That knowledge comes from God. And so when you learn how to dwell in knowledge, that means that no problem that comes to you is not going to not go to God. Amen? So you don't ever have that, that stretching and that tearing of that relationship because God gives you that ability to dwell together in knowledge. Let God show you what you need to do. Amen? Wow. So these are several factors that will affect any effort in personal uh, follow-up. Here's some factors going to affect it. Understanding these factors will help, uh, will help one know more about what is involved in such efforts. What's involved with me following up with these people? What's involved with me not getting caught up in the things of this world? Amen. So I, I entangle myself with the affairs of this life, the Bible said. Don't you do that. It said don't do that. Amen. And so, well, what entangles us? What causes us? If I had a spool of a kite a string, I can get the biggest guy in here, and you come up here, and I can wrap it around you once, they bust it, and you, boy, you'd bust it. I'd wrap it around you twice, you could bust it. Three times, you bust it. When I got to about the eighth or ninth time, you couldn't break it. Same string that you were breaking, but you allowed it to keep in your life to where it kept revolving around you until it bound you up and now you couldn't do anything. Amen. You can't lift holy hands anymore. You come to church and you just, you just say, I hope I, hope, I, hope, I hope I make it. I hope. Oh, no, 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 no. I, somebody told me one time, I said, I'm hanging on. I said, oh, you, you, you better not hang on. You better learn how to walk with God. Amen. Sometimes at our church, I want to drop a big old rope down, and I'm going to walk out there one day, and I'm going to jump and say, I'm hanging on, and then I'm going to start preaching see how long I can hang on. Won't be able to hang on too long. Amen? See, that, that's the problem. The devil, he kind of plays us into a corner and say, well, I, I, I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm hanging on. Now, you're going to fall if you're hanging on. But my Bible says you need to walk with God. Enoch had this testimony. He what? Walked with God. And in Texas, we say he pleased God. In other words, he made God happy. See, when you make God happy, you ain't got to worry about holding on because you're walking with him. You got joy. It's unspeakable, amen? It's set before thee. I don't have to look to the back. Why? Goodness and mercy follows me everywhere I go. I don't got to worry about what's back there. I just got to look and see who's, who's damaged, whose soul's injured, who needs God. 
Who could I talk to? Who could I become a, 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 a mediator between God and them? How can I get them to the friendliest and most exciting church in town? How can I get them in the presence of God and let them see the people that I worship with? And if you're sitting there and you're holding on, friend, they ain't going to see much. Amen. So, seeking to encourage engagement in this area of service and the Lord's work. So, for the for for there's a great joy when we engage in such work. You you don't know what joy is until you win somebody. Amen. You you don't know what joy is until you win. So, when you win somebody, the next person you meet, man, you're probably gonna win them too because you're so excited. And you already saw what God could do, so there's no doubt. You haven't got time to go home and go through your old routine and pick up some old things that you have. You're so excited about the move of God, you got to tell somebody else, amen? That's what's so good about it. So uh, 3 John verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. When pastor, man, I'm going to tell you something. Y'all's pastor, he, he's a man of God. He, I don't know anybody else that could do this. I, I know at my age, I, I would really have to work to do this, going from there to here to here to there to there to here to here to there. And he's doing this all the time. And if he's got that much energy, how much more should the church be energized? If he can come and get excited about the things of God, how come when he walks in here, we don't blow his mind when he walks this week? Next week when he walks in here, he's going to walk into the friendliest and most exciting church in town. Amen. And somebody needs to say that from this pulpit, and they all need to respond. Amen. See, that's the problem. Uh, we get so Pentecostalized, we react to things and not respond. You know, when a doctor gives you some medicine and you're reacting to it, that's negative, right? You reacted. He said, oh, don't, no, don't take that anymore. Let me try something else. But if he gives you medicine and uh, uh, you take it and it helps you, that means you're responding to it. Am I right? Let me put it in Texas terms. If you're milking the cow... And it got the milk bucket about half full, and the cow picks up her hook and puts it right down in the middle of the milk bucket. You can react by taking the milk bucket and hitting the cow over the head and hollering and screaming at the cow for wasting the milk. Or you can respond and go clean it out, come back, tie the tail around that back leg, and sit there and milk the cow again and get your milk. One, you're going to have milk. One, you're not going to have milk. And every time you react to things, the devil wins, amen? God wants you to respond to the move of the Holy Ghost. He don't want you to react just by a little shout, just a shallow shout. He wants you to respond by worship shout, by worshiping him and shouting praises unto him, amen? We got to respond to the things of God. When the preacher's preaching, respond to the word of God. When it touches you, don't worry about anybody else. Run to the altar. Pray for God to touch you. Somebody say praise the Lord. So you got to understand those factors. It'll help you. It'll help somebody to know more about what's involved in such efforts of soul winning, of follow-up. Uh, it may also help us understand why so few people ever get involved in follow-up. Because we just come to church, we do our thing, and we go home. And we think that's going to be good. I preached in a prison. Uh, we baptized a guy in a bathtub in a jail. He went to Ramsey 2 unit, which was one of the worst units. And uh, there was no uh, church service there, Pentecostal. So he went, to the, uh, he went to the chaplain who was a Christian science, and he didn't believe anything. And so he went there, and he said, hey, he said, uh, I got a friend of mine that he baptized me in the bathtub. Could he come and have service? He said, he can have every Sunday service he wants. Texas prison. I go get fingerprinted. They get my name or a background check. So I go there. 
And so I went there, and, I, and you're preaching, and all those guys are out there at gymnasium. And so you're preaching, and after it was over, this guy walked up to me and says, are you saved? Just like that. I could have reacted. I could have. I could have reacted and said, I'm going to tell you something, boy. I'm going to tell you something. You're in here. I'm out there. And you're asking me if I'm saved. No, no, I didn't, rea- I didn't react. I responded. I said, no. And he didn't know what to say. So that, that disengaged him right there. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm not saved. I'm safe because I've been obedient to the word of God. But the Bible says, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. I said, I'm not saved until I make it to the other side, but I'm safe. And if you want to be safe, I want to talk to you. And he said, talk to me. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Come on, church. Come on, learn how to respond. Learn how to respond to things. Man, quit reacting to everything. Amen. Sister Abers hollered, amen, louder than anybody. Preach it. I'm from the Aber family. We're hollerers. She's from the harp family. Musical. Mellow. When my brothers, when we got together, man, we'd, whoever was, didn't see if we'd just crater each other. We'd hit as hard as we could right in the shoulder, man. Oh, oh. And everybody looks at, what are you doing? Oh, man, it's my brother, man. You know, when you got a friend in Texas, you hit him. When you see him, you just haul off and hit him in the shoulder, the arm or something. And, and man, I, I did that one time in Pennsylvania, and they got, they got really upset. <laughs> I didn't even hit him hard. They got offended. I had to explain to them, I'm sorry, I'm from Texas. And if we like somebody, we pick on them. You know, like most time, people pick on people they don't like. That's not how it is in Texas. They pick on people they like. Because they know they're not going to knock your teeth out. Amen. <laughs> you know, they're going to respond in like. But, but it's important for us to understand that, that, that we got to come to the place that we're bold enough to allow God to use us and to teach us to do these things and help us follow up. So follow up involves the idea of life transference. See, the reason God wants each of you that have been filled with the Holy Ghost, baptizing you, the reason he wants you so on fire for God and full of the Holy Ghost, because he wants you to transfer that life into somebody else. When somebody new comes, he wants you to move into their life and transfer that life transfers. They see how you live. That's what happened with Sister Abraham and I. We taught Bible studies in our house. Why? We wanted them to see how we live. And they would come and sit around our table. We have sometimes, we would have 15 people at our house eating and then having a Bible study. You know why? Because we were wanting to transfer our life into theirs. They never saw a godly home. They never saw a godly marriage. Amen? Man, they get excited. Man, one guy, his wife left him when he got in church. And he was, man, he'd come every time we had Bible study at our house and we'd feed him and we'd make a pot of coffee. And he wouldn't leave. Everybody's leaving. And he'd say, put on another pot of coffee, brother. Abraham. And I put another pot of coffee. And man, we'd drink coffee and we'd talk for another hour and a half. And he said, man, can I have a little bit more coffee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And man, uh, he'd leave and I'd be dragging up about 1230 going to the room, man. Go ahead and laugh, but when you have a baby, and that's what a new convert is, is a baby. What happens when they start about uh, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning? You respond. 
Fathers react. Mothers respond. <laughs> so, man, he come in there, and he was so excited. And man, so it had gone on for like about four weeks, and, and about that fourth week, uh, he, he comes on, everybody's leaving. And he says, put on another pot of coffee. I'll put on one more pot of coffee. And at 10 o'clock, he says, hey, I'll put another pot. I said, you know what? I'll put it on, but you're going to stay here by yourself. I'm going to bed. I said, just lock the door when you go on your way out. I said, I'm through, man. I'm through. I took all I could take, amen. He's still living for God. He lives in San Antonio now. And God's blessing him and his family now, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Come on, you got to learn how to love people and life transference. Now, the reason that some people don't want to do that is because they don't have any confidence in their walk with God. Because the devil has beat them down to the place to tell them that you don't got anything. And you just hope that you're saved. That's not what Romans said. Romans says, I've got a hope. The creature shall be delivered from the bondage of this corruption. That's what Romans chapter 8 says. i got a hope the creature shall be delivered. Delivered from the bondage of this corruption. I got a hope. I don't wear these glasses for what they do to me. I wear them for they don't do for me. I can't see what I used to see, amen? That's corruption. I got a bald spot right on the back of my head. That's corruption <laughs> all around me, amen? I got a tooth that fell out, amen? That's corruption. And the ones that don't fall out, they'll pull out for you when you get older, amen? That's what the Bible's telling us, that we're full of, it's corruption. But I've got to hope some glad morning, some glad morning, when this life is o'er, I'm going to fly away, amen? I'm not in this just to limp in. I'm not in this just to get by. I've got to hope the creature shall be delivered from the bondage of this corruption. Somebody say praise the Lord. Corruption. Got that good old $800, $900 crown. I was preaching over in Woodland last time, and it just flew out. Thank God pastor saw it. He has, he has Superman vision. But that's corruption. And everything about this world is corrupt. And that's why when they see that you are, are saved and you're redeemed through incorruption, that's what the Bible says. Amen. So that's, that's what we got to understand. Uh, let, let me go, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. In other words, we're sharing a lifestyle with a new believer. We're letting them see how we live. We're letting them see what's going on. And if they do something, say something don't freak out. Use that as an opportunity to talk to a man. This, this, most time they'll know they did something. And they should let them talk it out. Amen? Man, I'll tell you what. Let, let me show you the scripture over there in uh, John. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He said, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He said, man, God cleanses us right away if we confess it right away. You don't have to carry it around. Let it accumulate. Let it get to stinking. The way we get stinking thinking. We've been carrying around bitterness. We've been carrying around uh, grudge. We, man, when you can't come to church and talk to everybody in the church, there's a problem. Amen. If you got to avoid somebody in the church, there's a problem. If Bill and Susie have a problem, and Bill and John have a problem, and Bill and Larry have a problem, Bill and Jane have a problem, Bill's probably the problem. <laughs> so if you're, don't tell anybody you got a problem now, because y'all done got exposed. <laughs> hey, living for God's awesome, man. 
Man, I, I've never felt this good and this free in my life. Man, I'm telling you, the devil wants to try to get you to, 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 he wants you to look at yourself in the mirror distorted. You know, when I was a kid, they had carnivals and they had this, this house of mirrors and, and they would take you and they would take you into the house of mirrors. You'd walk in there and when you turned the corner, you'd see one mirror and it'd make you real tall and skinny. And then you step in front of another mirror and they make your head real big and your legs real small. Step in front of another one and, and make you real big and huge. I'd go back to the skinny one. Now, when you're standing in front of those mirrors and you're looking at that distorted image, if somebody walked through another door and looked in and saw that distorted image, they would think you are a pretty weird person. Okay, now I want y'all to listen real close now. When God puts his image in us, when people see us, they better see the image of Jesus Christ. They better see his image. We better be Christ-like. Because if we're not on fire for God, if we're not worshiping God, if we're not loving God, all they're seeing is a distorted image. And they're going to see a church that does not have what it takes to have revival. But when they come into this church, there's no house of mirrors. What you see is what you get because this is the friendliest and most exciting church in town. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. And... Uh, if we don't, our walk with the Lord must be worthy of imitation. Man, people, man, where's that little boy? Where's that little preacher at? Where's, that little, where's preacher man at? He's in the back. Man, you don't think he, he's not imitating somebody? You don't think with that cell phone pouch, suit on and tie? I don't know who it is, but somebody in this church is worthy of imitation. He, he, he's influenced by that. He's being trained up in the way he should go. God, God's showing this little kid something right now. He's not scared to approach the preacher. He comes up and wants to high-five me, man. I say, I say, you the man. I'm the man. That's what he does. <laughs> See, but that's what God wants you to do toward this world. When this world says you're nobody, no, I'm the man. I'm the woman, man. I want you to know you're in trouble, huh? I want you to know I'm serving notice on you. The gates of hell shall not prevail. I'm going forward. I'm not going backwards. I'm not going to react. I'm going to respond to everything you bring at me. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Somebody shout praise the Lord. So uh, if, if we're not worthy of imitation, I know otherwise the new believer is not likely to take us seriously considering the example of Paul. It says in his conduct with the Thessalonians. He goes and sees the Thessalonians, and notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. It says, so being affectionately, go ahead, Sister Abram. So being affectionately desirous of you. He said, so here's Paul talking to the Thessalonica in Thessalonica. He says, affectionately desirous of you. Go ahead. We were willing to have imparted unto you. We were willing to have imparted unto you. Not the gospel of God See, only. I'm not just coming here to preach the gospel of God only to y'all. 
But notice what Paul said. But also for our own souls. Also for our own souls. Because you were dear unto us. Because you're dear unto us. I want to transfer what God's given me into you tonight. God brought me here not just to make a paycheck. God brought me here not just to fill in while pastor's gone. God brought me here to be an example. God brought me here so that I could influence you with my lifestyle, with what God's given me, and let that affect you in every way possible. Somebody say praise the Lord. He said, man, we are not with the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you're dear to us. You're dear to us. You're, you're our family. When we come to California, you're our family. You don't think we're not excited about getting to preach for the pastor that pastors my son and my grandkids? It makes me excited. Amen. So, so he writes to the Philippians. Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 4.9. Those things which you have both learned. And those those things that you have both learned and what? And received. And received. you gotta, you got to learn and receive. Now, uh, you know, we talk, and, and I'm telling you, public school is horrible. Don't get what I'm saying wrong. But do you know that in Proverbs, in every chapter of the book of Proverbs, the responsibility of learning is on the children, student. is on the student? At least one chapter in the book of Proverbs Every book and uh, chapter of the book of Proverbs, there's at least one scripture that says the responsibility of learning is on the student. And see, this is what's Paul telling the Philippians here. Now he says, those things which you have both learned and what? And received. And what? And heard. And what? And seen, and in, seen me. in me. Do. Uh-oh. Do. <laughs> do, Lord, oh, do, Lord. Mm-hmm. We, we sing sometimes and... and well, we don't even know what we're singing about. It just comes from our lips. It don't come from our heart. And I, I, I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. Because you don't know like I know what he's done for me. I said I get joy when I think about how he set me free. Because you don't know like I know. But I'm going to tell you if you sit there long enough, I'm going to tell you how to respond to something instead of react, amen. Because God's going to lead you to a soul to bring to the most exciting and friendliest church in town. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And we shouldn't view Paul as an exception. All mature Christians are worthy of imitation. Everyone of you should be worthy of imitation. All them little girls that are being raised in this church, they ought, to be, they ought to see women that are worthy of imitation. Godly women. Women that are sober. Women that are, 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 are they love their husbands. Women that, that love the things of God, working for the things of God. Always uplifting, always talking graciously about what's taking place, amen? Man, don't, you, you got to understand, you got you to be a Christian that's worthy of imitation, so notice, this may explain why so many are not involved in follow-up. Perhaps knowing that they are not good role models or mentors for life transference. So if you don't feel like your life needs, you, that, well, you know what, I'm not where I need to be, well, get where you need to be. Get where you need to be. It's a slow train. Get on it. Just get on it. Get where you need to be. Don't let anything distract you. Take a look in the mirror. Do people see a distorted image of Jesus or do they see Jesus? Do they see me with a smile on my face or do they see me talking and gossiping and, and tearing down? Do they see me uplifting the things of God 
and worshiping God at church, or did he see me just not really doing anything? And, and well, Brother Avery, you know, that's, that's just not me. Again, I, I know everybody don't worship the same way, but, but you can tell when somebody has it by their eyes. He, you can look in their eyes and see whether there's joy there, you know, whether there's, there's excitement there. Man, when Sister Aber got off that plane, I hadn't seen her in a week, and, and she got to the airport, and I got out of the, uh, the car, truck, and I went over there to her. She had this baggage. What was the first thing she did when she saw me? She dropped that baggage, <laughs> and she hugged me. We kissed. <laughs> you see, that's our problem. We come to church with baggage, and we never leave it at the back door. We come to church with baggage. We wonder why I can't lift my hands, why I can't pray, why I can't run, why I can't get joy. How come I'm not excited about the things of God? You need to drop your baggage at the door and say, God, I'm running to you, amen. I'm running to him. I want to embrace him and worship and praise. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo! Somebody say praise the Lord. I feel good, Holy Ghost, good. This church seems exciting. This church seems friendly. So, we got to let people know that. What time is it? Oh, man. Perhaps knowing that you're not a good role model mentor in life transference. So, you got to understand, uh, we, we got to get busy growing spiritually. We got to make it to these Tuesday night services, Wednesday night services. We got to make it to those services because that's how we grow. That, that's, the, that's the watering. The planting's been done, and they waters, and then God gives the increase. When you're hearing the word of God, when you're hearing the word of God, things begin to change, amen? And that's what God's trying to do in this service tonight and with you. Notice uh, 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Take heed unto thyself. Take heed to thyself. And unto Quit pointing at everybody else. Boy, I know people that lost out with God because they were always worried about somebody else. In Texas, we say, mow your own grass. Somebody complains about somebody else's yard, usually their yard is worse, amen? Cut your own grass. Take heed to yourself. Go ahead. And unto the doctrine. And to the doctrine. Wow. Remember on the day of Pentecost? He said, save yourself from this untoward generation. They continue steadfastly, the apostles, doctor, breaking bread, fellowship. Woo! That doctrine's what's important, because you're going to see. Now, look what it says. It says, take heed to thyself and to thy doctrine. Continue in them. That means continue in them. That doesn't mean take a detour. Yep. Man, when I get on that highway going towards Thomas, no Thomas is over When I'm going on that, I'm not taking no detour. I'm not taking no exit. That's where all the food is. That's where all the hot dogs are. That's where all the... <laughs> See, that's what the devil wants to do. The Bible says that his way is a holy way, and it's a highway of holiness, and the devil wants you to take that exit ramp. He don't want you to continue. He doesn't want you to make it to your destination. He wants you to say, hey, won't you pull over over here, man? Oh, look at there, man. They got, they, they got some good food right there, you know. The devil's about to price himself out of detours now because it's so expensive to buy anything. And more people say, I'm just going home. I'm going to eat when I get home. <laughs> I can't afford to stop anymore. I'm, I'm going home. The devil's going to price himself out of them detours, isn't he? 
But spiritually, don't you let the devil detour you, amen? It says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine and continue in them. For in doing this, what will happen? Thou shalt both save thyself. Thou shalt both. Everybody say both. Both. Both save what? Save thyself. Thyself and what? And them that hear thee. Sister Abraham's family, we took heed to ourselves. We, we, we made sure that ourselves were saved. And guess what? Years later, their family took notice and came in. You hear what I'm talking about? Sometimes it takes longer for some people to come in. I told you all the Bible says that when he went to feed the multitude, he said, why do we go feed them? He said, because some come from far. Some come further than others. And so you got to understand that. So take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. And the Bible says, in doing this and continuing them, for in doing this thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. So here's another factor of uh, uh, affecting personal follow-up, and it's this. Our willingness to make a commitment, our unwillingness. We're not willing to make a commitment to God. That's why marriage is falling apart. Back when I was growing up, marriages didn't fall apart like they did now. Back when I was growing up, everybody's mom and dad was around, Amen. And I want to tell you something, our neighbors could wear us out if they, if they had to, and my mom and dad wouldn't say anything. And I got plenty of wore outs. I wasn't mean, I was just ornery. You tell me not to do something. And my mom, now I was 13 years old, and she, I did, I did something I wasn't supposed to do. She, she go, she's going to whip me with a flash water. And I grabbed her. I said, you ain't going to hit me no flash water. And she got to fighting. She, she got, and I was laughing. I was laughing. My mom, oh, and I laughed and laughed. She said, when your daddy gets home, I let go of her. <laughs> And friend, I was in that living room, and that's when you had screen doors. You didn't have air conditioning. And uh, all of a sudden, I heard my dad's brown pickup thing come up in that driveway. And uh, I saw Mama start wiping her hands off, and she started running for that front door. And I, I hit that front door first, and I went around the side, and there was a tree that went on top of the house. And it was in the summertime. And I crawled up on top of that roof, and I was up there. Merle, you know what Danny did? You ain't going to believe what he did. He held me up against the wall and started laughing at me because he wouldn't listen to me. And my dad just looks up and says, come on down. I said, no, sir. <laughs> he said, that's a whipping. Well, I just, I'm going to stay up here. I'm, I'll wear him down, you know. And it was hot. I was barefoot. That's shingle roofs, man. It got hot in the summertime. I was up there, you know. And I could smell mom cooking supper and everything. And, and, and man, my dad walks back. I said, daddy, come on down. I said, no, sir. I'm not coming down. He said, that's two whippings. I, I told you I was honoring, and I stayed up there, man. I said, surely he he going. And, man, all of a sudden, I heard him eating down there, and I wasn't at the table, and they were eating. My dad walks back down there, and he says, come on down. I said, no, sir. He says, that's three whippings. I said, I'm coming down. I got my three whippings. But let me tell you something. It felt so good to be able to sit down at that table with the rest of the family and begin to enjoy that meal. And when you run from God, you're going to get some whoopings. When you run from God, there's going to be some things that happen to you because you're not continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in the fellowship, amen. And you're beginning to make wrong turns and taking exits and everything. And when that belt came off, doop, 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 doop. Now, I got to tell you, he'd fold that belt up. Now, my brothers, 
would just bend over and take that whooping. I told you I was hungry. He'd grab my arm, I'd be running in circles. <laughs> he'd be strapping me. And I, I would have got it a lot, lot it'd be a lot easier if I wouldn't have been running. He'd strap in the back of my leg and he'd strap me. And I just he quit running. I ain't going, I'm never going to give in. And I'm gonna tell you something that came over to the church. I'm not giving in to the devil, amen. I am not gonna sit back and let him push me around. I'm gonna take my stand, amen. I'm gonna worship God. I'm gonna continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And not only save myself, but my family and them that hear me. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Oh, yeah, I'm going to finish with this. Uh, uh, I lost it now. Technology, I'm finished, I guess. So, you see, here's what happens it happens in marriages, it happens in people coming to church. And, and again, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not an artist, okay? So here's a well. Got a little roof on it. A, you know, it's got the bucket right here, okay? And then this is the well. And there's water down that well. And to get water out, you've got to drop the bucket down. And when you drop it down, it goes, splish. Amen? And you get a full bucket and you bring it back up. When you first come to church, and you come to church, and you're living with God. You're exciting because you're in the most exciting and friendliest church in town. And, and you haven't, you haven't uh, began to react to things yet. You're still responding to the move of God. And so all of a sudden, you drop the bucket. That's splash. Oh, this is so good. Splash. Splash. Coming to church on Tuesday, splash. People look at you. What's wrong with you? Why is he so happy? And you splash. It's just a splash. You know, you, you just get married. It's a splash. Man, you get married, splash, man. A full bucket every time. You drop it, pull up a full bucket. And then over time, what happens is, is a, a, a rock will roll down into that well. And one day you'll drop that, that bucket down. You'll hear a splink, splash. Splink, splish. Not a splash, a splish. Splink, that's hitting the rock. Splish. But you don't worry about it because you're still getting water, right? You pull the bucket up, still getting water. Then you let it go. You don't do anything about it. And then another rock rocks there, and now you drop the bucket. It goes, splink, splink, splish. And you pull it up, and you only got a half a bucket. Now you got to work twice as hard to get the same amount you used to get because you haven't cleaned out that well. You've let it get clogged. And so that's what's happened in marriages, man. First time there's a problem, they don't do anything about it because they still got a good relationship and they let something else, a big bitterness sets in, amen, and they start reacting to each other. You know, husband comes home, so what's for supper? She's got two kids strapped on her legs, dragging her all over the place. She said, I had fixed up here. I work all day. She won't stay out the trash. Why don't you make dinner? And she said, why don't you do this? I am. I'm going to McDonald's. I'll see you later. That's what, it ha that's what happens. There's no more... Responding, it's reacting. Everybody's reacting. In the same way in church, people start reacting because they don't like the song. Or they react because somebody hurt their feelings. They, they react because... <clears throat> so you don't do anything about it. It's, you're, you're working twice as hard to make it to church. You're working twice as hard to make your marriage work. You're working twice as hard. And then you don't do anything about it. So then another rock rolls in there and you go splink, splank, splack. And you go, what happened? And then that's where the devil steps in. Okay, I'm going to leave that one right there. So here's how it works. This is you. This is the vision that God gives you. 
This is the alternative. Okay? Now you watch this. Joseph had a dream that his brothers were going to bow down to him. He had that vision. He was up here, wasn't he? So he told his brothers, didn't he? And all of a sudden, now they took him, sold him to Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, Potiphar's wife accused him. And he could have took the alternative. He could have done that. He could have went along with her little game. But he said, I'm going to wait on God. All right? Now, his well, he was there. He was in prison. And then he told, the, he told two dreams that they were supposed to tell the king about it. He never told the king. And finally, they told the king. And the king calls him out, and he tells the king's vision, right? So now we find him getting out of prison because he didn't take the alternative. He waited on God. And not only did his brothers bow down to him, but he was put in a place of position to sustain the whole nation of Israel. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that God brought you to this church. Don't take an alternative. Wait on God because what he promised you is going to be greater than the original promise. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah. My God. That's why the devil, he wants you to react so you'll take the alternative, the exit. Uh, David, man, he goes and he kills the giant. He's up there and uh, they say, you're going to be king. Man, that's pretty good. He's just a kid. And uh, they already wrote songs about him. And all of a sudden now, he's, uh, spear gets thrown at him, right? And, and it dies, man. He's in the valley. He's in the valley. He's up there, boy. He's having this big old, I'm going to be king. Spear goes. All of a sudden now, he's there, and he's running for his life. And he gets in the cave. And while he's in the cave, the one that's trying to kill him, the one that's been trying to kill him, David is anointed king, okay? Saul's no longer the king in God's eyes. David is. But when he got in that cave, David could have killed him right there. But David said, how can I touch God's anointed? I am not going to take that alternative, devil. I'm not going to do it. There's no way I'm going to do it. And the Bible says he did not take the alternative. And the end result was he is not only made king, but he's known as a man after God's own heart. Amen. I'm here to tell you that I don't care what you're going through. You're going through it because God wants to teach you how to respond and not react. He wants you to understand that if you'll respond to it, that you'll take the alternative. The end result's going to be greater than the original vision. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So, so when you get to this place here and you take the alternative, the alternative when you're here, when there's no water coming out, when you're not getting anything out of the church, you're not getting anything out of a relationship, what happens is, is you start going, well, uh, I'll just find another husband or wife. Uh, I'll just find another church that scratch my itching ears. I'll go somewhere where I'm not going to be required of anything, where I can react to things and not respond. But God said, man, you got to unclog that well. you got to get in there, and you got to take that one out. And when you take that one out, then the water begins to flow a little bit. And you stay there. You keep going to God. You, you continue steadfastly, the apostles' doctrine, breaking a bread. Uh-oh. You, you hear what I'm talking about? You continue in it. You continue in it. 
Man, you, you don't give up. You just keep going. And then you'll do this one's going to come out. And then that one. And guess what? It's going to become a river of living water again. And you're going to have that freshness. You're going to have that joy of the Lord. You're going to see God do great things in your life. You're going to see God take care of you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Musicians come. We need to learn how to quit making excuses. Man, we need to unclog our wells. If you can't lift your hands and worship God, you, there, there's something in your well that's clogged up. See, Isaac, God told Isaac to go to the land that, that God told him to go to. Well, that was desert. But he said, if you go there, I'll, 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 uh, you'll wax a hundredfold and go forward, the Bible says. And so it was, it was where all the other wells had been dug, but the enemy had covered them. So he goes to that land, and the first well he uncovers, and water comes, and he's drinking it. The enemy comes and says, that's ours. Oh, Isaac pulled out that sword and said, I'm going to tell you something, buddy. He reacted, man. He said, no, I dug this well back up. No, that's not what he did. He responded. You can have it. He goes on further, comes to another well unclogs it. They're sitting around there drinking water. And the enemy comes and says, that's our well. Okay, it's first time. Uh, it ain't going to happen again, buddy. No, you can have it. He went to the last well, the next well. And he unclogged it. And the enemy didn't do anything. And he named that well. And in the Hebrew language, that well means there's room for everyone. When you learn how to respond to God, there's room in this church for everyone. There's room for everyone. No matter where they come from, no matter what situation they're in, you just keep digging wells for them to drink out of and they'll come to the one where they get to the well that means there's room for everyone. And David wrote that in the book of Psalms. He said, thou hast set my feet in a large room. God has set my feet in a large room. God's church has plenty of room for everybody. But we've got to learn how to respond and not react to the things. Amen. We got to learn how to trust in God with all our heart and lean not into our own understanding. We need to learn how to let God have his way. We need to let God know that, God, I'm not going anywhere. I've made up my mind. I'm not taking an alternative. I'm not talking. God, you get me a vision. You get me a dream. I'm staying right here. But look, it's crumbling. It's, it might be crumbling, but God's going to make something new out of it. Amen. But, but God, all my friends, they're building this wall. Look at it. They're building this wall. And God says, look at it real close. Told Ezekiel, look at it real close. He said, they're building it with untempered mortar. And when the storm came, it said that it blew the wall down and it exposed the foundation. See, what God does when he brings adversity to you, he's making sure that you hadn't been building with untempered mortar. That there's no exit signs in your walk with him. That he can trust you with a soul. And he'll start bringing people to you. you got to love them enough. It's not going to be easy. We live in a fast-paced world. But we got to love them. 
You got to love them. Brother Abra, I got so much bitterness. Get in church. When the devil comes against me, I just get my spoon out and I start stirring up some of the sweet memories. They told me not too long ago, you, you're, you're really sick. And I had cancer, you know, 13, 14 years ago. <laughs> and old devil, he's trying, to, he's trying to get me to doubt. I stirred up that tea and that old sugar started swirling around with that, that memory that I had. And I told the devil, I said, devil, you remember that little Jamaican lady in New York that before I came to Las Vegas, that she said that, the devil's going to attack you, but don't worry, God's got it all under control. I said, devil, you remember me telling that story? You remember that little old Jamaican lady walked right up to me and said, don't worry about anything. The devil's going to try to put fear in you. He's going to try to make you doubt. He, don't, don't worry about it. I'm just stirring up. Every time I get a little sick or something, devil, and some of y'all need to learn how to stir up some of them sweet memories. And when you start seeing souls saved, when you start bringing people and you have this life transference that goes into their life, guess what? Every time the devil says you can't do something, you oh, you remember brother souls? You remember sister so Oh, they sit right over there. You remember, you remember how they responded to the word of God? If you learn how to respond, they'll learn how to respond. And if your well's getting clogged up, you're not getting as much out of church as you used to get, that means you got some work to do. Take heed to yourself and to thy doctrine and add to your faith and you shall never fall. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to know I could go on all night because I know where God brought me from. I remember what darkness was. My soul was injured when my dad died at 46 and I didn't get to see him and say goodbye. My soul was injured because of all the things that were said because I wasn't as smart as somebody because I had dyslexia. I remember the, the pain and the hurt that I felt when somebody would make fun of me or something. I remember always having to try to prove myself because my brother was so good at everything. The older brother was so good at everything that he did. And I was never as good as him. You'll never, I worked in the oil field where my dad was. You'll never be the hand your dad was. I, I was never good enough for anybody. And, and I remember the, the hurt. I remember that soul injury. I remember crawling down beside that locker in the army on the fourth floor of a German old Hitler barracks. When my dad died, I remember crying. I walked to a four-story window and almost jumped. Something pulled me out and set me down on that bunk bed. I said, God, if you get me out of here, I'll live for you. They called me and said, Danny, your dad died and your leg's broken too. We can't use you in tanks anymore. We're going to give you a medical discharge or we'll just let you go I remember thinking I bit the bullet I forgot what I promised God just a few minutes ago and I got home and I partied and I 
got drunk and <clears throat> drugs and all the other junk that goes along with the world and everything until almost I overdosed that night. I thought I was going to die. I felt my heart, felt like it was going to explode out of my chest. And that's when my soul was injured so bad. I looked at a friend of mine and said, do you remember Greg? He said, yeah. Still living for God? Yeah. I quit reacting to things. Quit blaming everybody else for my woes. I quit making excuses. And I went to his house and saw him, and y'all know the story. I repented. I was baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's what God wants to do for somebody here. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can get the Holy Ghost tonight. <clears throat> if there's something clogging your well, you can unclog it tonight. Everybody look at me. You got to quit making excuses. You got to quit making excuses. You got to do the work. Little Billy, he, he was told, his class was told that they had to write a book report. And his was on why fire trucks were red. Somebody else about sewing, somebody else about horses, somebody else about farming. And so that whole weekend he played it. He never did his work, never did his work. And when he got to school that Monday, the teacher said, okay, we're going to start giving the oral reports. And, and man, oh, 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 man, he didn't know what to do, man. So he, he just started writing stuff down. He said, oh, don't call on me, don't call on me. And so everybody got up and did their little speech. And, and it come to uh, Johnny, when it come to him, he, yeah, she said, Johnny said, uh, stand up and tell everybody, tell us why fire trucks are red. He didn't do the work. So he just started sweating bullets and writing stuff down. And he got up there in front of the whole class and said, why are fire trucks red? Fire trucks are red because they got... Four people and eight wheels. Eight plus four is 12. There's 12 inches in a foot. A foot is a ruler. Queen Elizabeth II is a ruler. It's also the name of the largest ship on the seven seas. And the seven seas have fish. And the fish have fins. And the fins fought against the Russians. And the Russians are called uh, reds. Uh, and uh, fire trucks are red because they're always Russian. We laugh, don't we? But how long does it make for, take for us to make an excuse while we're late to church? How many times have we been just like him trying to figure out what we're going to tell pastor? It would have been easier for him just to look it up and write that report instead of sweat bullets and come up with some bizarre story, amen? Now, he was smart. But how many times do we do the same thing we make an excuse why we can't come to prayer. We make an excuse why we can't pray or why we can't make it to church. Or we make an excuse why we feel like we can't talk to somebody. Every one of you, if you feel with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, God says he wants you to do that life transference. He wants you to transfer what you have into somebody else. He wants you to get away from that. Say, I'm not taking that detour. I'm not taking it. I'm not taking it. Amen. Demas took the detour. He saw that Paul was in prison and he went back to Thessalonica. That was where the biggest church was at that time. 
And, and he took the alternative because he, he said, man, there's the church. It's, it's over there uh, in, in a jail cell in Rome. That's the church. Look at the mighty Roman Empire. Look at all that they have. Look at the soldiers. Look at the shields. Look at the money. Look at the, the, the prosperity. So he goes back to his home church. That's what he did. If you really want to know the truth, he went back to his home church. Paul didn't say he forsook God. He said he had forsaken me. But he had an excuse. Look at the Roman Empire. And Paul just stayed right there. Where's the Roman Empire today? People spend millions of dollars every year to go look at statues with arms cut off and nose missing. Colosseums tore down. Oh, it must have been a wonderful time. You, you hear what I'm talking about? All these things are going to come down in this world. None of this is going to last. The only thing that's going to last is his word. And when he put his word in us, that means we'll last, amen? And that's when you can sing some glad morning with his life is over, I'll fly away. And somebody else on this, I can say, soon and very soon, I'm going to see the king. Somebody else say, you don't know like I know what he's done for me. And these visitors are going to wonder, what's going on in this place? I'll tell you what's going on. You just entered the friendliest and most exciting church in town. You just witnessed a bunch of people coming together and said, you know what? We're not taking exit signs. We're not taking alternatives. We're going to live for God, and we're not going to make excuses. But we're going to get excited about the things of God. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. I want you to take this with you. I want you to think about that. Is it hard to worship God? Is it hard to make the church? If we enter into excuses, maybe our well's clogged. He wants us to get in there and with repentance. David had to have a 51st Psalm to get back to God. Created me a clean heart. What was he doing? Pulling them rocks out of that well. Created me a clean heart. Restore a right spirit. Oh. I want a right spirit. I want the world to see a different spirit than what they, I want them to see a right spirit. I want them to see me excited and talk to them. And you ask Sister Abraham, man, I see him. I'm talking to him. I'm talking to him. I'm not taking the alternative. I'm not going to let this thing die inside of me. I want that, I want that water to flow out of me. I want it to be a river of living water. Amen? River of living water. It was the last day, the great day of the feast. It was a custom for the priest to remain seated. And they took the barrels of water up to the top of the temple steps. And on the last day, the great day of the feast, they would push the barrels over and the water would rush down the steps, remembering when God supplied water in the wilderness to them. And it was a custom for the priest to remain seated. So, so they're all there in anticipation. And they got the barrels up and Jesus is sitting right there with them. And they pushed the barrels over. And the Bible says before it hit the last step, Jesus stood up. He broke all the traditions. 
He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I'm here to tell you, friend, that Jesus wants to stand up in your life and he wants to give you rivers of living water and he wants to break the traditions of all the people in this city and let them feel the power of the Holy Ghost flowing through them. As they sing a song, let's give the Lord a big hand clap of praise. Let's worship for just a minute. Let's worship just a minute. Come on, you're in the friendliest and most exciting church. Worship God for a minute. Get rid of the excuses. Unclog your well. Hallelujah. Come on, worship God. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, come on, come on, come on. You're more than a conqueror. Come on. Come on, respond to the move of God. Respond to the move of God. A response comes from the heart. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.